Welcome to this episode of The Arts Report. I am your host, Ashley Park, and with me today I have the lovely... Jake Clark. Howdy. And Andy Ta. And also a very special guest. Hello and welcome to... I'm Helen Martin. Helen. And you're one of our new arts reporters for this term, is that right? Yes, that's correct, yes. All right, super excited to have you here. And we have a jam-packed show for you guys all about the wonderful Fringe Festival. Oh my gosh, you guys, I love Fringe. I had a, I, I've never been disappointed by Vancouver Fringe. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so wonderful. It's a, the second one I've seen, but I have ne- literally never seen a bad show from it, one I disliked. Yeah, it's two for two, right? Two for two. Yep. I've actually never really got to participate in the fringiness of Fringe Festival. I was always on the fringe on about like the French festival <laughs> okay okay that's a really bad pun but i actually got to see a got to be more involved with the fringe got to see a lot of the shows and i was completely impressed by all the eclectic theater that one can witness and to kick us off we have a very special report by none other than christine kim our other arts report host so let's get right into it Hi, Arts Report listeners. This is your bi-weekly Arts Report host, Christine Kim, talking here. This past Sunday, September the 11th, Ashley and I attended the second performance of Fringe show Bella Culpa. What is Bella Culpa about, you ask? Well, why don't the two performers in the show explain that to you themselves? Uh, So it's a physical comedy show in the style of vaudeville and silent film. It features two servants in an Edwardian manner, so we say it's like uh, Downton Abbey but meets Laurel and Hardy. Uh, Slapstick comedy with some acrobatics, some comedic dance, a little bit of puppetry. Yeah, very little dialogue, so we don't talk much, um, but we're very quirky characters, like trying to get our chores done, but we're kind of distractible and imaginative, and uh, things go wrong, as you might imagine. That was David and Amika, who I got to catch up with briefly right after the show. I'm Amika Hunter. This is David Cantor. We are a little bit off. Uh, That's our company name. And the show we are performing this year is called Bella Copa. How are you guys liking Vancouver Fringe so far? Oh, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah, that was a really fun show. Uh, yeah, it's been great so far. Uh, we've heard great things about, they call Vancouver Fringemas because it's at the very end. It's like December of the Fringe circuit. And yeah, it's been lovely. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. The show starts with a male and female servant in traditional black and white maiden butler attire. They are hurrying to get dressed in their uniforms when the lady of the house rings for their services. So begins the hilarious antics of these two unassuming characters trying to complete their chores while dozing off, getting into squabbles, and daydreaming of better things. As Amika mentioned, the performance has very little speaking. Other than the ultra-cute squeaks such as get it or stew, the majority of the communication is done through body language. This is why I think this Fringe show is perfect for families with little kids. The humor of the play is not dialogue-based and actually mirrors that of a clown act. 
In fact, the company that Amika and David founded, called A Little Bit Off, is a nine-time award-winning touring show that specializes in physical comedy. In the show, Bella Culpa, there's a lot of clowning and miming with bursts of acrobatics and puppetry. I would highly recommend this fringe show for adults and children alike who are just looking for light-hearted comedy that takes you back to the comedy of shows like Mr. Bean. One of the things I was surprised about with this show was the amount of audience interaction. Audience members were chosen to console the servants, catch mice, do chores, have dinner, and a whole bunch of wacky other tasks. Being a relatively reserved individual myself, I was pretty relieved to have taken a seat further in the back of the auditorium. Amika Hunter, the female servant, did a fantastic job in perfecting all of her voice cues and keeping the energy of the performance high throughout. David Cantor, the male servant, took really physically straining moves and numbers and made them look totally effortless. His character always remained aloof and purposefully silly. It was a great joy for me to watch Bella Culpa, and just in case any of you listeners want to go watch the performance too, here are the next performance dates. Our next show is tomorrow, Monday at 8 p.m., and then we have Tuesday at 9.15 p.m., Friday at 8.50 p.m., and Saturday at 3.15 p.m. And uh, all of those shows are at the waterfront. Beverly Elliott is probably best known for her role as Granny on the TV series Once Upon a Time, but she is also a veteran fringe performer. Her last performance was in the 2014s. This year, she returns with Sink or Swim, a new collection of stories and songs from her days growing up on the shores of Lake Huron. CITR's Dave Campbell spoke with her during a break in rehearsals at the Rio Theater. I want to start sort of from the beginning because I know this kind of came out of exercises and stuff you were doing with, with Wet Ink Collective. That's right. So tell That's me a little right. bit about Wet Ink first. Wet Ink is a fabulous collective of women writers. Uh, Lena Goldhar-Smith and Loretta Sito and Susan McFarland are the core group who started it. Mm-hmm. And um, they, it's been running for like four or five years now. And they do workshops mostly run by Jane Heyman. Um, Lisa Lafferty as well and we go in once a week for a 10 week run and you bring your writing and you get to read it in front of a group of 10 12 other women you get incredible feedback Um, they ask questions they nobody rewrites your work for you but they um, just witness it and then you can say what you want you know I I just want to know does this make sense is this funny is this is this even listenable do you understand the story and so the feedback is fantastic and Jane keeps a tight ship so everybody gets a fair amount of time but it just it's like any goal or deadline you're accountable yeah if i have to show up on tuesday and i've got a half an hour to read for 12 minutes and then get feedback for the rest of the time um i'm gonna i'm gonna write yeah if i don't yeah yeah, if i don't have to be accountable i'm going for a walk or turning on the tv or whatever you know so it's just a wait uh, for me. I need and it's dead. it's it's. I've also I've I've been involved in other groups like that, and it's a great way of 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 sort of speeding the process along. Not just because you have a deadline to meet, but just the act of reading it out loud or hearing it being read by somebody else and hearing what other people have to say about it gives you so many new ideas. Totally, totally. Being witnessed, hearing the laughter in the room, seeing the tears in the room. 
and thinking, oh, okay, this this is valuable. It, it works. You know, mm -hmm. it speaks to people. Basically, yeah. that's that's what it is. And it's just encouraging women writers yeah. because there's so many fabulous writers out there who just aren't putting their work forward. And we're just trying to change the numbers. You know, like right now, I think 80% of the plays down in Canada, if not more, are written by men. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have to take responsibility for that too and just get the work out there yeah. so we can change those numbers. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. from that came, uh, first of all, um, no, I can't remember the name. Didn't see that Didn't coming. Didn't see that coming. I knew it was there, it just wasn't done. Didn't remember the name. <laughs> uh, which you did two years ago. I did, and at the Fringe. And now this one yeah. is uh, Sink or Swim. It's kind of a prequel to that. It is. My, yeah. you've done your homework. Yeah. <laughs> I read the press release. <laughs> oh, okay, good. It's all there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so, like I said, I, when I first joined Wedding, I didn't even know that I could write. Mm -hmm. And still, I use that term loosely because I'm just... I feel like I'm a storyteller. I'm just taking things that happened to me that I kind of went, oh, all right, that's interesting, shared with other people, and they go, oh, that's totally my story, or I needed to hear that, or yes, that makes sense. So I strung together a bunch of stories for Didn't See That Coming, of bumping into a stranger, basically, and having your life blindsided, and things change, or you see it from a different angle, or um, have compassion, or realize, ooh, I wasn't a very good person in that moment, you know? Um, but being taught by a stranger. That was the premise of that one. And this here is uh, Sink or Swim uh, prequel. All the stories, which I wrote throughout that whole Wet Ink, four years at Wet Ink, um, these childhood stories, because for some reason I have, and maybe a lot of other people do too, these crystal clear memories between the ages of five and six years old. And I think it's a formulative kind of uh, time in our lives mm -hmm. when we start individuating from our family a bit and it's the beginning of school and you leave the safety of home and I just have all these crystal memories of things that happened they're not all bad they're just but think lessons were learned yeah. so the same thing life blindsided me and I changed as a human being so I this show is that it's childhood stories for adults there's nine little stories that happen and seven songs, I think. Those songs in the last one as well. I write mm -hmm. music, co-write with other people. Mm -hmm. And the songs are kind of from the adult point of view. So I'm, I'm going with the, the theme that we learn these lessons in life, like speak up, ask for what you need, um, stay in your own lane. Uh, if it's not your business, mind your own business. Um, we learn these lessons, but we, the first time out of the shoot, and then we keep learning them throughout our lives they kind of shape who we are as human yeah. beings so a lot of them um there's a chunk that happened at school because i went to a one-room schoolhouse really? for grade one there was no kindergarten or preschool yeah. back in my day and uh for the first three months i went to a one-room schoolhouse so going from the safety of the farm and home with mom in the country <clears throat> to uh this one-room schoolhouse with this battle axe of a teacher and these grade eight bullies that were terrifying and really no protection mm -hmm. uh and just how this innocent goes in raising her hand yeah i'll be a part of it and then being humiliated or um made an example of uh you know it, it, it so though that kind of experiencing wow that's what happens when you do this or that's what happens when you speak up or um 
obey the rules. Even there's a lesson, you know, I obeyed the rules, and then it was blindsided. Mm-hmm. So it's so, not all bad. So it's it's so done in humor. Spe- so specifically the title, Sink or Swim, there's, there's a reason why you chose that. Well, there's one specific story that happens in, a, in Lake Huron, and... Um, so I, I kind of, I didn't want to call it school days or, you know, yeah. focus on that aspect of it. I wanted to find something that was general that in each story you either, just like I didn't see that coming, um, you either sink and you don't pass the lesson right there and then, or you swim and you go, oh yeah, I got this handled. Mm-hmm. I, I'm on to you. I know what's going on here. Yeah. So in each story that uh, that happens, I either sink or swim. And then there is one specific story that happens, as I said, in Lake Huron. Yeah. That we will, yeah. That we will learn when we come and see the show. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I always like the books like David Sedaris, who who write a whole novel of stories, and then he'll take the last line of the whole book and cu- put that as the title. Yeah. You know, you wear corduroy. And if, what is it? For your, your relatives wear corduroy? No, I can't remember. No, I can't remember that. Um, but anyway, we'll and you out. go, why is that the title of the book? And then, then it doesn't really matter. You get to the last line, you go, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. But this does have a theme. That it's thematic throughout that mm-hmm. I am either sinking or swimming. And overall, I, it, my intention is that it's the universality of these stories because we all had a childhood. We all had a teacher that was a battle axe. We all had situations where we weren't heard or seen or we almost drowned or we, um, you know, had an expectation of what was going to happen and then something else happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's my hope is that it just strikes the chords in people where their stories start coming up. And yeah. Well, I've got you here. Mm. I also want to talk a little bit about Once Upon a Time. <gasps> yes. Because, and it also kind of leads into, or uh, follows that same line of didn't see that coming. Because you have been, you've had a, a you know you've had a good career as an actor but it's uh you know been the usual kind of actor's career where you get a little work here a little work here and just keep going and then all of a sudden you're plunked down into an ensemble of a very successful show with a big cult following and it's been going for 6 years it has yeah, yeah. so so tell me a little <coughs> bit about about that experience for you as you know being someone that sort of all of a sudden finds yourself in, in well in it's pretty cool it's yeah. very fun it's very fun i i call myself a working actor because I just have been plunking along for over 30 years and as you said it's up and down and up and down and this one came out of nowhere uh, I, I'm playing a 70 year old woman <laughs> so I can no longer complain when a 30 year old plays yeah. you know <laughs> is married to a 60 year old man I'm kind of doing the same thing but no it just I guess they auditioned all the senior actors in the city and they didn't see what they wanted yeah. And uh, then my agent threw me into the mix and said, well, this is the personality you're describing is Beverly. They they saw me for the part and they said, we'll throw a wig on her and dress her up. And and so I was in the pilot and this show has just taken off. It has a worldwide following. Um, I have like 40,000 Twitter followers <laughs> that are crazy about the show. Um, and uh, my character has hung in there. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a feature. I'm I'm a recurring. Yeah. So I show up in maybe one third of the episodes and just a line here or a line there, uh, which is great yeah. be, because it sustains me. And now I'm also doing these wacky um, sci-fi conventions. Yeah, I was just about to ask about that, you that too. That you fly to, you know, being in a fantasy series, mm. you have this whole other world. Oh yeah, yeah. You fly to Denver and you sign autographs and and meet the fans, and they come dressed as the characters. Mm-hmm. I go as me, 
and people always go, oh, my God, you're so much younger. <laughs> the show can go for 20 years. Granny won't die. Um, but uh, they come dressed as the characters. Not many yeah. come as Granny. Yeah. Most of them come as, like, because I'm not sexy enough. <laughs> they come as the evil queen or as uh, Emma. Yeah. But it's an ensemble cast, a huge cast, and the fans are dedicated dedicated and uh, I love it because I get to travel and you know I've been a single mom for 17 years and I've been making a living in the arts singing yeah. and you know schlepping at the pumpkin patch every October and taking anything that comes along to keep my head above water so the fact that I get to do this now it's just I'm so grateful so grateful and it's fun like it's it's fun well, thanks very much. You're welcome. So my show's at the Rio Theater. Yep. We're here right now um, having this interview. And uh, the Rio Theater, it opens September 9, and I close on the 15th. Right. I know the Fringe goes a bit longer, but I'm heading off to a convention in Florida. <laughs> um, so I'm 9 to 15. There's six shows. It's called Sink or Swim. And there's five other... No, there's... Six the seven, yes, yeah, seven, seven artists, artists are yeah. doing one-person shows here yeah. at the Rio. So you can come and make a whole night of it, mm -hmm. really. Grab some food on Commercial Drive, come back. There's great shows. T.J. Daw, Charlie Ross, Gary Jones. Thank you. Startup is a two-day orientation event for incoming first-year art students that will give them a taste of what life is going to be like at UBC. Squads will link up and compete in a series of challenges around campus to win bragging rights. Hashtag squad goals. Your leaders are there to give you the lowdown on university life. They'll provide you with answers to your essential questions. This is going to be a situation that you will not want to miss. Hashtag FOMO. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I am your host, Ashley Park. Today is September the 14th, 2016, and you are so lucky it's the 14th. Do you know why? That means you have four more days of the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Yes, it concludes on the 18th. And hey, Macarena. I know, right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, the great thing about Fringe is that it really lets people have a stage for kind of like alternative theater, theater that isn't really that... Um, mainstream or popular like like you know like musicals and broadway and all that kind of stuff it gives a chance for people who are voiceless to be heard and we actually went uh, andy and i i believe that was on um tuesday just yesterday just yesterday that's just right. yesterday just yesterday the 13th the 13th the 13th that's right we watched a stage reading of a play which is part of advanced theater new works by women it's a feature presented by ruby slippers theater equity in theater and vancouver french so you might be wondering why is this important? Like, what is advanced theater, new works by women? Well, according to a national study, in the Canadian theater industry, women account only for 33% of artistic directors, 34% of working directors, and 27% of produced playwrights. Think about it, 27%. That's not even 30% of produced playwrights in Canada that are women. Um, Recent surveys indicate that production rates for women playwrights are regressing, not progressing, but going backward, and rather improving over time. We're having a trickle-down effect that is negatively impacting on the entire theater sector as a whole for women in theater. As a response to the underrepresentation of women in theater, Ruby Slippers Theater partnered with the Vancouver Fringe Festival and Equity in Theater to bring you Advanced Theater Series, a showcase of dramatic readings of five new plays written and directed by Canadian women over five days during the Fringe. 
and is curated by Ruby Flippers Theater with priority given to diversity and they are very pr proud to present advanced theater new works by women and it started on the 12th it's until the 16th so you have two more days uh, the shows are uh, aiming to float by Janet Hinton Zagi Diwin slash love by Francis Konkin the long call by Jen Griffin anywhere but here by Carmen Aguirre and women of Papiak by Kalemia Sparrow uh, it is again until the 16th, so go watch them if you have the time. They're all at 1.30 p.m. though, so it's like really, really early matinee sort of time. And it is by donation, the recommended price being $5. You can't book in advance online for these shows, so you have to get there in person. That is the one thing. Uh, the play that we watched was on the 13th. It was Zagi Dinwin slash Love by Francis Konkin. It was directed by Christine Quintana and read by Carmen Aguirre, Megan Chinoski, Kim Harvey, Lisa C. Ravensbergen, and Christine Quintana. So in the not-so-distant post-colonial future, a young Anishinaabe woman, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, if I'm not, please let me know at arts.citr.ca so I can better educate myself. Thank you. Uh, and embarks upon a journey through time and space to rediscover the truth about love, living her best life, and growing up as fabulously as possible amidst the intergenerational trauma of cultural genocide. Um, so it was well, very interesting because it was a reading. So, Andy, what was kind of like your initial kind of like feelings upon going into the uh, the area, which was kind of like, I think it was like the False Creek Gym or something. Is that what I said? Uh, that's right. Yeah, it was yeah. like literally in a gym. You could like even see the receded basketball court. It was great. I know. It was very intimate, kind of like almost like um, your local school play sort of thing, except, you know, yeah, yeah, talking about, for sure. you know, genocide. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot less depressing than it sounds I think it it is pretty depressing but like a bit less depressing than it sounds yeah I think the one thing I really um kind of like dug into it what I really liked was the there was there was a part in which um the main character the young woman is um talking to like her mom and the mom is just so blase about like killing everybody who doesn't agree with her and she's like mom you can't do that I thought that was, right. like, really kind of funny. Like, it, it just kind of, like, it was much more larger than life right. in a way that the characters were so really over the top that made it kind of funny. And they did, they were kind of caricature at times, right? I mean, to back it up a bit, like, yeah. um, there's, like, three kind of story storylines yeah. that are kind of interwoven. And the one you're describing is, like, the a kind of parody of, of uh maybe feminist thought or something you know like you have a queen who's like basically kill all men is, yeah. is her manifesto right yeah. and yeah that, like that one's the most i think um light in tone mm -hmm. valerie solanus sort of thing i don't mm -hmm. know what that is she shot andy warhol oh okay yeah, yeah. i know her scum manifesto right yep yeah all right <laughs> and that so and that was the lightest one <laughs> in tone um so it's, I, I'm sitting here, I'm hearing you describe it as a narration. So was anything performed during the narration, or was it just... That's, that's uh, what's uh, interesting about it, I think. Yeah, Ashley that, can maybe... Uh, the, the main thing that mm -hmm. audiences should expect in a reading, a dramatic reading that is different from watching something happen on stage is that the words are the kind of like where a lot of the dramatic action happens. So it's all emphasis on how the words are being spoken, the pauses in between, musical cue. It becomes sort of like radio play-like, almost. Right, yeah, and I think interesting. For that reason, it, it took me a, like 
a, a, almost to the end until I was like really on board with everything. Like it, it, at first, I was like kind of not totally on board with. Um, it was, was a little yeah. like ambiguous, right? Because um, you, there are some ways that they transition through the different scenes, mm-hmm. but um, some places it isn't concrete enough that we were like, when exactly is this happening? Who are exactly these characters? When do they make the switch? Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Like it comes together in the end. Like all the threads like makes sense um to in in the end but like while you're watching it especially in the beginning it's it's very confusing at times i thought yes um and i think the reason why it was a little confusing to us is that it has a lot of references which is both kind of a positive point it's one of the strongest reasons why it's a comedy especially when it makes like like quirky little like you yeah. know like nods back to the memes like oh my god no mansplaining that kind right, of thing yeah. uh but then at times, if it's used in a way that it doesn't feel like at least like historically like correct, then you're kind of drawn out of it. Or people kind of like think about the meme and they don't focus it back to the story. Right. And there's like a, a Twilight joke, you know, in, in 2016, which is really kind of... You're, we're all trying to forget that scene and we're like, oh, no, no, let's not go back there. But it brings it back there. Well, well we have Fifty Shades of Grey now. You can probably make the same joke. Yeah. It was just a li- yeah. it just felt a little outdated mm. in some of the references, which, again, might have been a nod back to like, like the year of that um, that scene. I guess like oh this is, like you know, set in like twenty like what okay. was Twilight like like a good like a thing like like twenty ten twenty ten I'm thinking twenty ten yeah. yeah right um, that that was my guess but it mixes that, yeah and that, that makes sense it mixes the references like up a lot that you can't tell when it is it's just that cultural time right because like, there's like a stairway to heaven reference and like a bunch yeah. of musical um, uh, song song references from like eight the 80s i guess I'm yeah really bad and that was music, in the scene with the residential school right, which yeah. we'll actually get into so again this is about a cultural genocide and the main character is a anishinaabe woman so we don't know if um this girl you know becomes like the queen later there's a again a lot of like temporal things that are very transcendent that we're still trying to figure out. But um, one of the most powerful things was the residential school thing because it was talking a lot about the idea of um, replacing a knowledge and cutting off the root of gaining a prior knowledge. Like they just cut it off that you couldn't basically, they made a gap. You're not, you can't just jump back into it. Right, yeah. Yeah, she was severed and could not find a way to kind of like quote-unquote reattach you know what she had lost which and kind of like cultural heritage kind of like the central uh thing that uh, the cultural genocide kind of is represented in is, is the name the idea of names yeah and losing your name whether it's like your your first name you know your personal identity or even like your family name right your, your mm-hmm. lineage your history like uh it's a really powerful idea mm-hmm. right so I think my favorite ones were the residential school ones. The one that I lost a, a lot of, like, kind of, like, um, I guess I didn't want to say empathy because I always empathize with the woman, but where I kind of, like, didn't, I, I think, like, you know, it lost a little bit of the playwright's attention was the scene with the man who takes up too many chairs. Right. So this is um, a kind of a, a historical like, a temporal representation of 
the patriarchy, right? The man. So you literally have a, of a, a character named the man, and he's described as a white heterosexual man. In this, literally, in this, right? Literally. And he's and is like his great sin in this uh, in this part of the play is that he t- he's sitting on three chairs instead of just one, and he's like spreading his legs. Just taking all that room. You don't need all that room. And he's and he's such a comical figure, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't really work for me because like, on one hand, he is this figure of of white supremacy and and colonialism and, and racism and all these things that are and patriarchy, of course, mm-hmm. like really bad things. But he's a really funny character in, yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what um, is lost because we are kind of like conditioned to find those characters pitiable slash lovable. Like you have like the the goofball dad who can't do anything. Like you know he's like sitting on the couch and he's drinking a beer. He doesn't help the wife, but you kind of like endear yourself to him. Yeah, he's a sitcom dad. Yeah, the sitcom dad and. Because of how likable the actress was in playing that figure, it didn't come off as menacing as the other two women were, you know, kind of focusing on how menacing he was, you know? Right, and it kind of diminishes, right, like the other women, that they're oppressed by this comical figure in some way, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he's a joke, and these women who are oppressed by him are, like, being oppressed by a joke. That's how it's, like, seen, uh, represented in the play, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um... The, the one thing that, that I thought was really interesting when I was doing a little bit more research on uh, on the playwright is that she actually grew up in Winnipeg, in Manitoba, and Ooh, she sorry. grew up in a half Anishinaabe and half Slovene family. Slovene? Slovene? Slovenia, yeah. Slovenia, thank you. And um, <laughs> she was talking about when she wrote this play, uh, she said, during a fit of rage on Christmas Day, I lay on the floor of my grandmother's house and wrote Sagadiwen slash Love, a decolonial comedy about loss, about of language, of love, of culture, of land, of knowledge, in the era of truth and reconciliation. Uh, through interwoven storylines across time and space, the play follows a young indigenous woman as she fights for her freedom in a world of colonialism and patriarchal rule. Uh, despite the serious subject matter, I wanted this play to be a comedy. One of my greatest, or only, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> strengths as a writer is my sharp wit indicative of a generation that grew up yelling at people on the internet. I believe it is a vital tool in storytelling and art as we begin to decolonize and rebuild as individuals and as a nation, which you can tell in the uh, ending of this piece. Unfortunately, this piece won't be uh, shown again. These plays uh, for advanced theater are only one show only. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to see one, just go for it. You just got to go for it. You can't, like, wait at the wings. One chance. It's gone. So when you say decolonial, I, I'm wondering what exactly you mean by that in well, this context. Well, in the context of the play, what happened at the end is the mother figure, the queen, is telling the daughter to pick furniture. Oh, slums. Yeah. Furniture is a man. Like, literally, it's a man. So it's like, hmm. choose the furniture, make sure it's sturdy, he's there to decorate your home. It's an object. Just how, you know, women are objectified as men as their property it's turned around that men are the furniture of these Amazonian, almost, you know, like, stereotypical Amazonian, like, feminine, Nazi, let's use the word term, that people throw in, like, a derogatory I think, I think fashion. That's, I think that's actually fair in this case. Though. Yeah, it's like... It's, it's, it's deliberately, like, that kind of... Yeah, because she even says the dictatorship. Right. Yeah. Hmm. In, like, this, like, feminazi world where, you know, men are treated as the objects. And for her, the main character, to stand up and go, like, no, let's not, I'm not going to kill, you know, any of the men. I'm not going to take a furniture, that kind of thing. I think she, I, I think that she is the one that replaces the mother and declares freedom for all. And the way that she does it is she does it through re- reclam- like reclaiming her language. Right. She says stop, I think, 
or some sort of like thing that makes him stop through her language. Yeah, I mean, I mean like as far as decolonizing goes, yeah, like, I think true. it's has. I don't know. For me, it's like you're identifying certain like coercive relationships between two groups of people, and you're trying to like find a way to make them not coercive, right? Yeah. That's the same for like any anti-racism or anti-like misogyny, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's just for me, though. It is a really hard thing to do because this is what we're. It's like a very present issue. It was not an issue. It, it was still an issue before, but it's like much more present now because the awareness that we have through the internet, through this kind of age, and the ability to talk about it is what is allowing us to kind of think about how do we decolonize ourselves? You know, what is decolonization to me, sort of thing. And I guess through the lens of Psychedelian slash love, it is about basically bridging that gap that was forced upon a people and returning to a culture. And maybe it's not the same as before because you can't interact it in the same way. That historical thing is lost, but in a new contemporary way. So is it about returning to the culture or it's not about instilling it into current culture? It's kind of instilling to current culture. If okay. you try to return back to culture, it's kind of like a nostalgic sort of thing. And I think this um, recidivist too. Yeah, playwright is definitely about how you know the age of again what she said is yelling at people on the internet. So it's got to be the present time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really interesting thing. And for readings, again, people might be a little like you know at a loss of what to do because like the action is again based on the words. What I recommend for people who are sitting through a reading is to kind of, um, if they can, see how the way lighting affects the piece. See how the way music affects the piece. Because I think what we noticed is in the beginning of the um, play, they had Chelsea Hotel, right? Ah, yeah. Leonard Cohen. That's right. Leonard Cohen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea Hotel. Yeah, it was playing by him, so a male voice singing Chelsea Hotel. But at the end, same song again, but by a uh, a female singer. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. They did that on the OC too. Really? The first episode has uh, the Leonard Cohen version. The last one of the first season has the Jeff Buckley version. I see. That's not the same. No, <laughs> it is not the same. But I mean, the bookends. I it reminded me. Yeah, it's like it's bookended by a male voice and a female voice, and also what they said, center stage. You know, the male, the man center stage, you know, that young woman at the end. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. So that was what we saw, and we were kind of like, well, this is a little too deep for me on, like, a 1.30, but I'm glad I went there. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of very interesting, really thought-provoking pieces by women, and women are so underrepresented in theater, which is the reason why I do recommend anybody who is listening right now to go see a show at the Advanced Theater New Works by Women. It is, again, until the 16th, and it is 1.30, but you will not regret it. Yeah, if you have time, go for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as we're talking about music, oh. I did. I saw a musical Fringe show. What is it? One of the Fringe show. I apologize if I mince that pronunciation. I don't know. It's my diction, I believe. Uh, so one of the first, the first Fringe show, Fringe show, I should stop saying that. <laughs> I saw this season was Piaf and Brel, The Impossible Concert, by Mel- uh, courtesy of Melanie Gall who is an opera singer, currently living in New York. Mm -hmm. And that was at Performance Works. It's on at uh, 1218 Cartwright Street. That's on 1218 Cartwright Street. And it's a single, it's her singing these songs of Edith Piaf and Jacques Brel, which are chansons, Mm -hmm. uh, they're French genre songs. And um, Piaf and Brel are both very interesting figures. Mm -hmm. And she describes their lives in light of that. And they never actually met. Their lives did overlap, but they never met in real life. And they were similar people in many ways. Both of them 
were uh, very romantically prolific. Let's say that's a yep. good way to describe them. Uh, Jacques Brel was a serial adulterer. It is worth noting. Okay. <laughs> um, and they both composed songs about, mainly about love, ch- chansons, very French. Mm-hmm. Um, and most, and uh, ironically, I suppose they both died alone. Uh, Edith Piaf died of. Uh, she was addicted to alcohol and morphine, which makes your liver age at an accelerated rate. That's what killed Charlie Parker. He looked 60 when he died. He was 32. Mm-hmm. She died in the early 60s uh, from the fallout of that. And Jacques Brel died of lung cancer, four packs a day, again, French, um, <laughs> uh, in uh, the mid-70s. Because mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, she, she explains their music and the significance of it. There's some English, but mostly the original French. So if uh, parlez-vous français, um, it's a good sh- it's a more understandable show but i don't think it's necessary i i like edith piaf i don't know a lot about her mm-hmm. i know one of her songs is inception which also had marion cotillard who played her in Livion rose yep. and oh, but i'm a huge fan of jacques brel because i love that man's voice and there's tapes of him performing and he's this odd looking man with his barrel chest and lanky arms gesticulating frantically with a cigarette in hand <laughs> in a way that would probably put out your eye if you were talking to him mm-hmm. uh, and you can look him up there's also a video that claims he invented rap music I'm not sure if he did but he's singing very fast and she does that in this show it's almost impossible to do breath control wise oh wow and it's a very simple show it's just her performing these songs and doing banter uh, between the two of them and she has a personal history with this because she discovered uh, Piaf and Brel at the only French restaurant, not currently there, in Port of Spain, where she was staying uh, for a holiday, and she performed these songs as well, working for the Canadian government, uh, going to different places, including, uh, I believe, Qatar was one of them. Mm -hmm. Great performance, Mecca Qatar. Um, And they... She she does talk about the lives of the artists a bit, and and the significance of the songs. Like... uh, for Edith Piaf, she does perform Le Vie en Rose and Je ne regrette, regrette rien, which is the one that's in Inception, and there's a yep. sing-along to that one, which is my favorite Edith Piaf song. Uh, and then for Jacques Brel, she performs... Okay, you know the song Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks? Yes. That is a Jacques Brel cover song. Oh, wow. It is a terrible translation, and <laughs> I deeply dislike that song because of that. She does as well, which was very relieving. Mm-hmm. A great relief to me. Uh, and... She does a cover of that uh, originally, which is, and that song is like a really cheeky, kind of bitter and sarcastic song yep. about death, like facing death, as many of Brel's songs were. And Brel, like, um, I, she did it really well too, because it's hard to, like, there's a stage show, Jacques Brel's Alive and Well and Living in Paris, mm-hmm. which as a show, Brel was a deeply troubled, was a deeply problematic singer because great singer, yep. good lyricist extremely misogynistic yeah (laughs) extremely sarcastic and one of the very catty a very catty lyricist not a nice person no no probably a terrible human being but a great singer and a great lyricist and Uh there's a reason his songs are so well covered he has this great grasp of lyricism that translates very well Mm -hmm. if you're uh solely an english speaker i highly recommend scott walker sing jacques bro which is an album of scott walker's covers or her covers of it which are on sale at the venue after the show Mm -hmm. and it's a really very, it's a good show. It's a good representation. Um, it's, it's a very casual thing. Mm-hmm. You can sit at the table, watch. What do you mean sit at the table? There are tables uh, facing the stage. I so see. it's it's sort of a... D- does it feel like a cafe almost? Yes, a like little a bit. A jazz cafe? Somewhat. Uh, Brel would have performed at those. As mm-hmm. Edith Piaf actually started singing on the street mm-hmm. because uh, her, both of her grandmothers were prostitutes and she was raised in and around their brothel. Um, 
and she started out literally singing on a street corner, according oh, to wow. some. Her life story is in some mm-hmm. debate because her autobiography is a little uh, sort of a choose-your-own-adventure thing. <laughs> choose my own adventure. Kind of yeah. go to page number five. Oh, I'm a queen. But is a, it, 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 is a good, it is a good show. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is a good show. It's, it's a sad reminder for some of them considering their lives, but it is, it is a good concert show. Are there any more shows for that upcoming? Uh, for that upcoming, yes, mm-hmm. there is one on today, actually at ten twenty, one on Ooh. Friday at five o'clock, and one on Sunday at four o five. And where exactly is the venue? That is the Performance Works at twelve eighteen Cartwright Street. Well, that sounds great. So if people mm-hmm. are interested in that, again, the show is. Yeah, uh, that would be P.F. and Brell, the Impossible Concert. And with that, we are going to go into a short commercial break, mm-hmm. but we're going to get back to you with more cool mm-hmm. fringe stuff. This is the Arts Report on CTR one zero one 9FM, we are on unceded Musqueam territory at UBC. Want more reasons to visit Vancouver's volunteer-run campus and community radio station? How about over $3,000 in prizes to be won? CITR is participating in the first-ever Campus Culture Challenge, where you can check out the cool places on campus, collect stamps for completing challenges, and win amazing prizes. Just find CITR in the nest and post a photo of yourself in front of the on-air booth and tag us on Instagram at CITR Radio and at Discorder Mag to collect your stamp. For more info and to download the passport, go to welcomecenter.ubc.ca slash challenge. And remember, the challenge is open to UBC student staff and faculty. It is a time of magic and change in the realm of Discordia. Discorder's format has once again transformed with the changing of seasons and years. September's Discorder magazine. Experience it anew. Is there any way that you can be graceful when... Featuring cover artist Craftition, articles on Wish Kicker, Art Deco, and Hick, album reviews for Ramsey and Japanese Girls, and live show reviews of Art Swells, Space Melt, and more. Experience the transformation. Pick up a copy of Discorder at local record stores, venues, and more. Thank you to Discorder's advertisers. Vinyl Records, Recruiting Canada, Rickshaw, Fringe, Zipcar, Astoria, AMS, Don't Argue, Hastings Crossing, BIA, Live Band, The Rio, Shindig, Timber, Neptune, Viv, Unip Hit, Dead Offensive, Flemish Eye, Volunteer Media. Hold us all together in one as the winter comes. When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the floor of the Student Union Building. we got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I am your host, Ashley Park. Again, this is September the 14th, 2016, meaning you have four more awesome days of Fringe Festival left. I am with my wonderful co-hosts, Jake and Andy. 
Yes! Together we are Ashley, Jake, and Andy. So I sounded sound questioning I there for a second, like, Jake? That's okay. We're all questioning our lives. Yeah, we're Aja, you know? I know. Yeah, that's right. Arts, you know? Yeah, we're Aja. You're right. We're Aja. Because A-J-A. Aja. Ah! Ah. Or aha in in Espanol. True, true. Take on me. Oh, my God. Never karaoke that song, you'll die. That's okay. Now, let's actually talk about um, a a few things about Fringe, one of which is a funny story. Funny story. You know when you get a call and you're watching a show and you get a call and your phone goes off in the theater and you're like, oh, no, my phone went off in the theater? I'm watching a show. And you feel like you want to set yourself on fire to escape the shame that is so pervasive at that moment? That's right, except in this one, it's actually part of the show. What show is this, Andy? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, Advice to Love Slash Hate You and Everything in Between Oh. Uh, from the Dat Theatre Company, uh, and the playwright is Sean Patrick Sonier. I think that was eHarmony's original slogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is actually a little bit about love and the uh, scene of dating right now, and what people do to stay with the one that they want. And it's all about, what do I do? What do you do? What should I do? Advice, advice. So what happened is we actually went into the, the theater there. It was quite nice. Um, and as we're, se- as we're seated, an actress comes over to us and asks us if she can have our number. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is not your... your Ooh. <laughs> this is not some paperback fantasy, friends. <laughs> Uh, I, I was going to say, that's part of the reason I took this job. Uh, <laughs> no, no, not at all. She was asking how comfortable you are with audience participation, because this show actually requires a bit of audience participation. Yeah, well, a lot. Like, it comes up over and over again mm-hmm. throughout a, the play. A lot <laughs> over and over again. So, uh, <laughs> so we... I. Okay, we volunteered, but I'm using, like, uh, you know, we, quote-unquote, we, because Andy didn't want to. But I said, I would. And then I said, but my phone is American, so you actually, you actually have to use Andy's phone. <laughs> yes. So, uh, that was a mistake. We, we did not know we would be the first people to be called. Yeah, we should have expected. And I, I, feel, I feel really bad because um, the way the show is supposed to work is that the actress, like, literally calls an audience member, Literally right? calls you. And then, you're, as, the, as the audience member, you're supposed to pick up, and then you go through in a little uh, improvised Spiel. dialogue, right? Yeah. But I was, like, whispering into my phone. I was like, oh, this is a, this is a play. I can't, I can't shout. I was, like, whispering to my phone, and she was like, I can't hear you. It, it's an etiquette thing, because you're, th- you're thinking, oh, Wait, my you God. you picked up? Yeah, yeah, we picked yeah, up. We, you're supposed to pick up. Yeah, if you don't yeah. pick up. Oh, do they urge you to pick up? They, they or? tell you to leave your phone on vibrate and then just leave on your lap. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. you see, so you know, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So uh, we just didn't know how we would be the first ones. We thought we'd be like the second or maybe like a, like a good old third, but we were the yeah. first. So. Yeah. Oh. And then I kind of just said one thing and some people laughed and then uh, Ashley just took the phone from me and she, she killed it actually. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what happened is the girl just, you know, saw her ex and she's like oh my god my ex i want to sleep with other people what should i do and then andy what did you say as your advice you shouldn't have put yourself in that position you should because, have no no what you say after you pick up the phone is well you called the right person <laughs> See, you've been great for that show yeah you would have been awesome I probably would have been thrown out mm-hmm. so uh, uh what happens is she and this is when you can t- kind of figure out how this show works it is very much a yes or no kind of like choice mm-hmm. but it's phrased in a way that doesn't feel like a yes or no. Like it feels like you are actually giving her the direction, but she's actually guiding you. Right. Because um, she was asking me, should I do the Tinder thing or not? And I said, you know what? You do Ooh. you, honey. And sometimes, occasionally, you let other people do you. 
that's so great. No, no, no. That, that, that's a good one. Thank you. The audience member laughed. It's like really, really nice to get that sort of mm. satisfaction, especially if you're really good at doing improv, like I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But jokes aside, that's actually how it went because she gives you the choice. And mm. depending on yes or no, they probably have like a million sort of scenarios that they played. Like what would happen if they say yes? What would happen if they say no? Mm. But because it's still limited, they're able to control the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from there, like, it goes, and then the, the girl um, that is the ostensible, ostensible main character mm-hmm. goes on to have a meet-cute with, yep. uh, meet meet cute with the server in, in the Remember, cafe. It, it's not like a bar. It's, he's a cafe barista. He's a cafe barista, yes. Yeah. And, the, and they, they basically start a relationship. And then you have, like, moments of crisis, right? And then in those moments of crisis, uh, usually the, the main character, the, the woman, will call an audience member, and then one time, uh, the, the, the barista does, mm-hmm. and they ask for advice. That's mm-hmm. kind of how the conceit of the play. Yep. And now a point, a little bit of advice for you guys who are new to audience participation kind of theater and want to kind of get in there. A little advice from us, the Arts Report here at CITR 101.9 FM. <laughs> Just a little bit of advice. <laughs> okay. Um, so Andy and I are huge nerds. Apparently, we're really huge nerds. We we role play, <laughs> we do D and D. No, okay, okay. Yeah, you're about to say like you guys are nerds, and you're like, no, no, that's real nerdy. No, I was about to ask what kind of role play, uh, but there's. Oh a... no, 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 we're not doing that kind of role play. We're not okay. doing yeah. It, it, contextually, it never yeah, mind. No, continue. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so we know. Yeah, yeah. Like games, you know. Like games, you know. That doesn't invalidate my premise. Oh. Oh right. No, it, well, role playing. Role game. playing game. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. The old pen and paper. That's right. Just uh, rolling that dice. Yeah, rolling that. <laughs> 20-sided dice. That's right. Um, but uh, we're huge nerds. We roleplay. And basically, it's all about the illusion, the world building, just immersing yourself in that sort of setting. Right. Which is the reason why we hate metagaming. Right. So, God, I hate a metagamer. <laughs> <laughs> so metagaming is like when you're using knowledge you have like as a real-life existing person on this planet Earth. Out of character. Out of character. Out of this universe. Inside the game, right? So mm. say, like, your dungeon master mm-hmm. introduces a, a monster, right? That's right. That your character in the game encounters. And when you metagame, you're using your knowledge of that monster's statistics from the monster's book. <laughs> and uh, then to your like, advantage, right? Yeah. And that's not fun. That's not fun for anyone. Yeah, it's only for your own, jo- your own enjoyment, to be honest, to look awesome or cool. And not calling out people because they don't know their names. <laughs> I don't know his name. But this one gentleman in the show we were watching just had to break the fourth wall. And we already know it's a fourth wall breaking play. Like, she will call you so that yeah. you can, like, give them advice. But he completely knocked out other walls just for his own, like, little, like, you know, like, ha little yeah. giggle. Um, so, like... So he was, like, referencing stuff that he... Shouldn't know. Should only knew because he was an audience member watching the play. Yeah. He was right. like, oh, you should change, you know, your bed. They just look like four boxes put together. Like, you know what it's, I mean? Like That's like 16 walls. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> he's just drawing the characters out of the world by making them realize that they're actors. You know what I mean? Right. And when you have that kind of control as an audience member to participate, the most fun you'll have is not breaking down what the actors and the playwright and the director are trying to create, but enhancing it. Like working in the sphere, in the schema, in the mechanism of theater and being a part of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like one thing if it's like an improv, like a full on improv show where like um, they're taking suggestions, like, and you just think of the wackiest thing you can think of, right? 
or you say the wackiest thing yeah. you can think of. But this is not. This is like a, a story with certain rules and it parameters. It has a linear kind of like, you know, progression. Even though it seems very like non-linear, it has a linear pro- progression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Don't metagame, guys. <laughs> Don't do it. So, and th- this progressed throughout that, throughout the audience participation, was actually used to further the plot of the play. That's right. Yeah. And and the ones that were most successful are the ones who played a Played along, I think. Yeah, and, and most people did play along. Like, mm-hmm. pretty much everyone did. So, yeah. shout out to them. Yep. Kudos to you guys for playing along. You guys are what? Hashtag a team player. So, where was this at? Uh, this is at Studio 16, which is located at... Uh, 1555 West 7th Avenue. And that's <gasps> very important, because not all fringe shows are located within Granville Island. Had we known, Andy. <laughs> yeah. It's did, like a 10, 15-minute walk, I think. Yeah. From Granville Island, Granville this, Island. it's about five minutes. Yeah. yeah, maybe we're just slow walkers. I, I've seen three shows. It was really, 16. really hot, though. It was really hot. It was really hot. Really? We were, like, melting. Oh, really in, in studio. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah on yeah, our yeah. way, walking up there, walking up that hill. Just uh, so hot. I thought you meant in the theater, because no, no, in no, the theater, it does warm up a lot, too. No, not, the oh, theater was actually quite... The fine, yeah. yeah. Really? It was just, like, the walk there. Oh, boy. So if you don't like walking in the heat, like we do, uh, you just, you know... The heat? Pick one location and then just watch, like, shows in that the place. The heat? How, how hot was it outside? Hot enough, you know. I was wearing all black. I'm coming from Ontario, where it's 25 and 40 with humidity, so it's pretty nice out here. Well, we're West Coasters with high privilege. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True, you know, you guys, you guys have, you know, temperature regulation and mountains. I don't have, we don't have either of those. <laughs> Sorry about that, but we do have the Vancouver Fringe Festival and the That's show, true. which is, nice. is again called. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Advice to love slash hate you and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And are there any more future shows um, for the state? Because the actors even said, we change roles. So yeah. that so, was really interesting. So they're going to have another show on Thursday uh, at... Oh, sorry. Today's Thursday. No, you know. Today's, today's yeah. Wednesday. So they're going to have Saturday at yeah. 6.15 and Sunday at 3.30. Yeah, and that's really interesting because the actors all are going to change roles, so... I think it's also kind of like gender gender neutral casting yeah, too. Yeah, like for ours it was pretty um, heterosexual generally, which is fine. Yeah. But if you're more into the queer stuff, yeah. um, there's gonna be some role switching. I like the queer stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, this being fringe, I don't think you're gonna run out. All right, That's so we get back yeah. to you, but Jake. Considering what did you see? Studio 16, so the first show I saw there was tragedy plus time served equals comedy, which is a stand-up show basically by a fellow named Mark Hughes, mm-hmm. who um was it's a, his addiction and incarceration it's a story uh, oh of that and he he starts off with describing himself in a halfway house shooting cocaine and heroin and then going to rob a bank oh wow okay. because that's the only way for him to get back to prison and that's how he starts the play and the funniest thing is that he says you know speedball's kind of like fusion cuisine like uh skeddy and borscht or in this case cocaine and heroin oh wow which that, that, that's what killed john belushi yeah. among other things uh, and uh so he talks um about his childhood and he's like a lot of people's childhood is like instagram inspirational instagram posts my childhood was like youtube comments and that's <laughs> yeah it's, it's good good lines like that he is very it was funny it was a uh, dry like it was there were dry moments a lot of it was pretty it was very low key it was like if you like dennis leary very similar to dennis leary's why is cracks without the okay in, in there okay. uh <laughs> was similar to that and he there were themes in this of, of bullying, which he encountered in school and then in prison, as one may well imagine. Uh, fear, and fear of isolation in particular was what um, he's talking about, fear of being alone. Uh, and this is a very, very potent show for that. There's animal motifs in there. Like, if, if you've seen um, 
The closest thing I could compare this to isn't actually Dennis Leary. It's Christopher Titus, mm-hmm. uh, whose entire material was on how screwed up his family was. Like, his, uh, his mother was mentally ill. His father was an alcoholic. Uh, his mother killed her husband and killed an abusive husband and then oh. killed herself. Okay. Um, and then uh, uh, the thing is that uh, he's talking about the difference this is in his life and the theater company that does this, the company he's working for is starting from scratch, which is what he's doing because he's been sober since the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he talks about the uh, those those issues, especially the, the issues of being like sort of an outcast mm-hmm. in, in light of the fact that he chose that. And that's his life. And it's very interesting in that regard. It's very interesting for how he approaches that because there are dark moments in this. Mm-hmm. Like there are moments of sexual assault, brutal violence, heavy drug abuse, and what that will drive you to. Oh, boy. Basic- Is this like an 18 plus show then? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Okay. It's at least 14 plus. And, uh, like, they, they didn't card me, but, you know, I, I look like I'm 30. So. You don't look like you're 30. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe, you know. It's you look like a teenager, man. Yeah, you do. Forever young. Really? Yeah. No, I just, it's working in reverse now. It's amazing. I'm like Patrick Stewart. <laughs> but, uh, so, like, it is a good show for that. If you don't, if you're uncomfortable with that, the comedy, it, it vacillates wildly. Like dark in comedy. Tone. Like- like, yeah. The, yeah, the comedy is dark, but there are also legitimately dark moments. He's talking about some pretty horrific things, mm-hmm. like um, being, like, there's there's one line I remember he's talking about um, this uh, guy he knew who he looked up to mm-hmm. and who introduced him to heroin and who he did his first robbery with, and then that guy eventually wanted to have sex with him when this guy, when this guy, Marquise, was a teenager, mm-hmm. and... The way he broke this to him was this guy, this other guy, was going to commit suicide but said, let's first make love. And he's like, I couldn't even get normal. I had to have a Romeo pedophile. Mm-hmm. And that was the sort of wisecrack. And, like, it's a funny line. I laughed. But it was like, considering wow, the context, horrible. you can only make light of so much. Yeah. Which is not to say I think it's in bad taste because it's, it's the guy's life. Mm-hmm. You can make fun of your own life to pretty much any reasonable degree. Mm-hmm. I, I don't consider that offensive. But... It is legitimately a really dark uh, thing, and yeah. the dark moments are not always comedic. Mm-hmm. So that's Im- that it, that's important to note if you want to see this. But I would recommend it. It is quite funny. And after that, actually, that same day, I saw a second show, which is also anti-social humor, but is anti-social so, humor. So you've seen Deadpool? I've seen Deadpool. I, like, I can assume Deadpool is filmed in Vancouver. It's got a good. It's a great. It's a f- great movie. It was pretty good. And that kind of thing, Deadpool's, like, very referential but also very psychotic humor. Yeah. Coming from the fact that Wade Wilson is literally schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I assume he is. And uh, he, the jokes there being that he does some – he's, like, the funny narration. I just turned this guy into a kebab. Yeah. <laughs> The After After Party, which came on after this one, was most of that. And this was also Mark Hughes to a degree, but mostly his was drier. The After After Party is manic humor. The After After Party, if I had to summarize it, is these uh, two women, Katie Hoffman and Cheyenne Maberly, doing a mixture of the humor from Deadpool, the setup of Waiting for Godot, and setting it in the mid-2000s. Oh, my God, the mid-2000s. Oh, boy. I don't miss the (laughs) mid-2000s. I really don't. Well, I, I I don't miss it, but that's just aesthetic difference. <laughs> also, Bush was still in power, so life was hard. Yeah, well, depending on the election, we might actually look back on that fondly now. But oh boy. The um. So this after is after party. Yeah, the after after party is 
they went to so they went to the pre-party they went to the party they went to the after party and yep. now they're sitting in a park wasted yep. trying to figure out where the after after party is because they've done some pretty terrifying things including burning down one of the parties oh boy and this is worth seeing again because there is really no plot to speak of it it, it jumps back and forth it is a series of these interconnected moments that do, in the end, actually flesh out the characters very well. Okay. And these characters are borderline antisocial personalities. Okay. Who are the characters? So they are, so they're played by, I mentioned Katie Hoffman and Shan Maberly, and there is uh, Jules mm-hmm. and, oh, I, I can't remember others' name, but they, um, they, they are both, like, um... They are both... Uh, They're both best friends, right? They are best friends, and they yeah. are, in point of fact, the only friends either one of them has. Oh, boy. Is it because, like, they're kind of like, um... Jules own, and... They're both kind of, like, quote-unquote losers? Who's, who's I didn't want to be... Shrek. Fiona is the other's name. Ah, yeah. Fiona. Yeah, uh, and Jules is, like, somewhat normal. She aspires to, like, kind of fit in. Fiona is... I gave up. No, no, like not just has no metric of comparison. Okay, got it. Uh, I think like is is just sort of a self-contained person. Okay. And um, like for example, like Fiona has no compunctions about setting fires in a bathtub. Got it. Uh, and there's a leitmotif they make of the song um, Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus. Oh, cool. Yeah, better like that song. It's in a lot of it. I happen to like that song a lot. Okay. Um, but uh, it uh, it it does use that to kind of highlight the changes in time because they are mm. trying to figure out what happens, so there's flashbacks. And all in all, it is a, like, it, it's a hard show to describe because it is so manic and its grip on reality vacillates between fairly real, like sort of, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia mm-hmm. kind of thing, and then also like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, it gets absurd really quickly. Yeah, it does. Oh god. Which is I I, I like that kind of humor. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that one that one was on right after this show. So it was an interesting contrast. So Tragedy Plus Time Served Equals Comedy is on on Wednesday, Friday, Saturday at 9:40, uh 5 o'clock and 4:15 respectively. Mm-hmm. When Wednesday being today, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's a thing. That's a thing that happened. I'm Jake. Uh and <laughs> thir- and uh the after after party is on on 8:15 tomorrow and Eight o'clock on Saturday, mm-hmm. and again, people can check mm-hmm. where they are on the website. If it's, both of them are at Studio Sixteen, yeah, but sometimes the website can be down. So both of them are at Studio Sixteen, which is located at one five 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 West Seventh. Thank you. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna get into another few short little commercials mm. today. You guys are super lucky. We are giving you a little bit more art report. Up the review Love. stage. That's right. <laughs> UBC Homecoming Football, enough said. Listen live this Saturday, September 17th at 5 p.m. right here on CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver and online at CITR.ca. How do you listen to CITR? Do you stream it with your data? You could be getting it free on your phone with the already installed FM receiver chip, but major carriers have blocked access to it. If you want access to all your favorite CITR goodness on your phone, get involved. Visit freeradiomyphone.ca to see how you can get involved by contacting your carrier and signing our petition. Tune in to African Rhythms every Friday from 7.30 to 9 o'clock with your host, David Love Jones, as he plays a heavyweight selection of classics from the past, present, and future. This includes jazz, soul, hip-hop, Afro-Latin, funk, and eclectic Brazilian rhythms. Lots of people! 
Welcome back to the Arts Report here on CATR 101.9 FM. Again, we have a longer show than usual. And what we're going to do is we're going to just pack it, pack it, pack it with fringe stuff. So let's get to the next fringy thing. We're going to fringe ourselves. We're going to fringe ourselves, and hopefully you will fringe yourself too. Exactly. Right, Andy? That's right. That's right. So what's our next show, Andy? Oh, yeah, so uh, we also saw, like, uh, a show called Curious Contagious. Curious Contagious. Uh, from the Mind of a Snail puppet company. Yep, and they're uh, local. They're local, they're local cool. yeah. yeah. Uh, and the playwrights is credited to Mind of a, uh, Mind of a Snail. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if there's, like, more than the two actors we saw. It might just be them. It might so, just be them, because yeah. they were also, they actually did all the instrumentation for the right, piece, yeah. which we'll get into later, because it's very, very, like, nifty. But what is Curious Contagious, for those who might not know and are a little bit like, I'm curious and maybe I'm a little contagious. <laughs> so they describe oh, it as a surreal quest into the microscopic innards of a mythical beast. Mm-hmm. Right. So the beast in, que- uh, in question is a unicorn. Yep. Just, just to be clear, what would a non-surreal version of that look like? Um, well, the, the reason why it's kind of surreal is the actors actually were the viruses within the unicorn's like um like system body system what is it i, I i'm so well, bad like, at biology it goes like from digestive system yeah. to like his horn and yeah um, you guys yeah, it, like it's from a bite from his hand his hoof hand mm, it's just yeah. like a hand but yeah so how did he get that bite well th- mr unicorn here oh man he's a big shot uh working <laughs> under jim horton you know jim horton the rhino Owner of Jim Hortons, the company. (laughs) (laughs) So he proposes a new plan to uh, Mr. Jim Horton about Donut Palace, the Palace of Donuts, because donuts are what? Awesome. That's right. Jim Horton never thought of this before for some reason. (laughs) Jim Horton was like, (laughs) Donut Palace? This is amazing. But there's no dialogue. It's all through body language of these shadow puppets. So there's a giant white screen that's placed in in the uh, theater. The lights are all turned off, and it's kind of like when you had kind of like those slumber parties, and then you had that white one white sheet, and you pretended to make a dog with your hand. And the flashlight. And yeah. The flashlight, and you're like, whoop, whoops. Yeah. But much yeah, more. And then eventually, when your guests cut eye holes in it, you had to throw them out. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. No. That never happened to me. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, I would my friends well, cut. <laughs> n- never have a sleepover in Alabama. Got it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but it, it's to that degree, but elevated, elegant. Sophisticated. Sophisticated, complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, the shadow puppets are really, really, really cool. And what they did that was really wonderful to me is that the backgrounds that they did, the backdrops, seemed 3D. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's like flat shadows, but they made it appear 3D in the way that they moved it towards the light and away from the light. One of the most striking things is in the beginning when, like, you're basically in the point of view of the unicorn yep. drinking coffee that's and right and eating, eating cereal c- eating surreal surreal a yeah. cereal brand named surreal named surreal i don't that's know if right. you can differentiate our uh, the pronunciation surreal surreal and cereal yeah i guess so um that was um, a really really cool part and again there's no dialogue so all the noises are like like you know like a soundscape done by kind of like quote-unquote like nonsensical kind of like you know nonsense words oh, okay so just like sort of 
chanting. Ch- sort of chanting, like really, yeah. and it like a ooga chaka, ooga ooga ooga. Not that overt, I don't think. Yeah, but, but it, some, something like hooked that. Hooked on a feeling. Yeah, it was no. more kind of. I know hooked on a feeling, but it was more kind of like, not really words. They were just noises, like grunts and chitters and chirps and stuff like that. Much more animal than like a like a human language, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And where was this? Where was this show put on? This show, the Waterfront was, Theater. Yeah, Waterfront ah, Theater. Ah, Waterfront. That's yeah, a good that's idea. right. And. Um, one thing that I particularly like that Andy didn't, overhead projectors. Yeah, the ones that you use in, like, elementary school overhead projectors. Like, where, mm. the, where you had that, like, white film. I remember those. Right? And then, the, and then your teacher would write yeah. something, and, like, the marker pen, and it would, like, show on top. Yeah. Andy hated them. Because what they did is they had these overhead projector kind of films that they would slide on top of the projector that made it look like we were inside the body of the unicorn. Like, cells happening, like... Body like organs and tubes and like kind of like a, yeah. but not in like a two life sort of thing. Yeah, like so a like the, fantasy version. So like the real world is the shadows, and then the the inner world of the of the of the unicorn is the projectors. Yeah, like you're under a microscope. But Andy hated it because why? <laughs> I I yeah I kind of hated it because I found the light source from the projectors so distracting in the pitch black room Mm -hmm. it just bothered me so much i had to use the person's head in front of me to block out the projectors because the light is actually really strong yes especially when they're Mm -hmm. using red and uh yellow lights it was so bright i found Mm -hmm. yeah uh for some people they were okay with it like for me i was kind of okay with it but it was quite strong uh the people in the front they were probably much more luckier we were uh, not luckier like they probably had like more of the light we were quite Mm. we were quite in the back we were quite in the back that's how strong it was yikes yeah but it was really, really cool because they had shadow puppetry, they had the projectors, and they had the actors also dressed up in, like, head-to-toe bodysuits in black. They have, like, weird little, like, pom-poms stuck onto their body and, like, a little antennae, and they walked with their hands kind of like, um... I'm thinking kind of like a triangle. Like a triangle over your head, like a mount, like you're making a mountain on top of your head. Yeah. And it was uh... emulating the look of a virus. Yeah. Because you know how viruses have that pointy kind of, like thing and they had their legs and they look like a weird kind of like pointy octopus yes that's how that's how i describe it yeah i'm laugh at that yeah i'm trying to give a visual rep- representation to the audience here it's quite decent yeah it's quite decent and they like move their bodies all weird like and the funny thing is they actually painted their their eyelids in white and then drew pupils in because the light is so strong they can't open their eyes a lot so ah. they close their eyes but it looks like their eyes are open Ah, okay. Yeah, that was really, really nifty. That's profoundly creepy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, supposing we're interested in the... Supposing we're interested in how great love of shadow puppetry, a contempt for our retinas, and a uh, interest in the physiognomy of mythical creatures, where and when can we see this? Uh, At the waterfront, yeah, but when? Mm -hmm. So we saw it on uh, yesterday. uh, Yesterday was Tuesday. And there's going to be a few more shows. uh, Thursday at 5... Saturday at 1.30, and then Sunday at 8.05. It has a very environmentalist take on the story, which we won't reveal. Huh. Yeah, um, it's not very explicit. Well, like, it's ex- it depends how, how explicit you think yeah. Jim Hortons is, right? Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. That's, yeah. It's pretty on the nose. And I just want to say, <laughs> like... horn, as it were. Yeah, it's on the horn. <laughs> I just want to say that both the effects individually are very cool. Like, I really like the aesthetic of the shadow puppets, and I really yeah. like the aesthetic of, like, uh, the overhead projectors. But the transition between the between the two, like I just it's a found, little disorienting. Yeah. yeah, it made me think of like Little Big Planet. The while you were really focused on like the 
the imagery. I was really focused on the soundscape. I love like how all the music that they played, the actors did themselves, and I loved the kind of like again that nonsense chanting that really sets the tone of the piece. Because again, there's no dialogue, mm-hmm. so you can only use music to set the tone. Because yeah. there's no lighting switches either. Right. Yeah. And I also wanted to mention that of the three plays that we saw yesterday. This was by far the one that the audience appreciated the most, I think. There was, like, a standing ovation. There was a standing ovation, and people were, like, laughing really hard. People were really really into it. I don't know why they were laughing, though. I was, like... People were laughing at, like, the unicorn eating coffee or eating cereal, and I was like, this is just cool. (laughs) This just sounds like BoJack Horseman got weird. That's what I actually wrote in my notes. BoJack Horseman-esque, but not depressing, question mark? (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Uh, You know... The similar thing is when you mention yeah. a show about animals with environmentalist message. Yep. I saw one very similar too. Ooh, oh, what, yeah. is that? what is that? Wild Society at the review stage, which I actually saw again yesterday. Um, two it's times. a very good show. Oh, yes, wow. I would highly recommend it. And it is two vignettes. It is two uh, smaller shows put into one. <laughs> the first is a rabbit is sort of an Oscar Wilde show which is this rabbit preparing to enter high society. Only her friend from the country, the raccoon, stops by, Mm -hmm. and she's considering that. Then that becomes a problem, sort of Mm -hmm. a comedy of manners. The second one is two penguins uh, drinking iceberg vodka and doing rails of snow. Okay. uh, (laughs) Talking about how global warming, the banker and a lawyer respectively, talking about how global warming isn't a thing until the iceberg they're on uh, (laughs) goes otherwise. Um... And they're both very they, – they both have an environmentalist message to them. Um, and it's, it, is a, it is a little on the nose, but it is, it is funny. It fits the tone of both because both are kind of absurd. And these are done by the Star Star Theater, which is a very – it's very – it's just two people. Just two people, but they're playing, – Playing both roles in each one. Okay, there are so no I was going to ask about um, that. Do they yeah. play both like the rabbit and the raccoon and then the, the penguin penguin? Yes, yeah. So one plays a rabbit ra- and a penguin. The other one plays a raccoon and then another penguin. And they, they do – cool. Pardon? Penguins are cool. Yeah, yeah, and in this case, these penguins are kind of douchebags. Uh oh. But that's like that. They, they are parodies. They are, they are entertaining parodies, and they they are straw men of the arguments against uh, global warming, which are increasingly relevant, mm-hmm. uh, considering the possible apocalyptic fate of the world around us. It's that, coming. That concerns me a little bit. It's yeah. Coming. And uh, the great thing about this, though, is that they have excellent chemistry. Every really? single every single line of this one Both is of them. Uh, yeah because it was so one of them is the playwright Mika Lownley and she um I interviewed her afterwards and she said that it um basically she was working on also some different stories one involving a gopher another one about two salmon and she wants to make an anthology of these I see and uh, the the great thing about them is that they are homages to different styles because the first one was inspired by Oscar Wilde, hence Wilde Society, yeah. uh, which is not, it's not spelt that way, but uh, I appreciate that because the importance of being earnest is one of my favorite plays, possibly my favorite. And uh, the, uh, the second is like um, whenever you see like a movie like Wall Street that deals with the financial sector, it's a parody yeah. of that personality, mm-hmm. that sort of alpha male temperament that doesn't necessarily back itself up. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of that it, very very bluff, very not necessarily effective. Like it's sort of a facade, and it's it also very 
uh, obviously there's a bit on consumption there too because the penguins are uh, the the penguins are spend a lot of money on booze and drugs is their main expenditure because it's like they're it's like they're drinking iceberg vodka no ice mm-hmm. which is the the funny which is funny I yeah found, dude I, I enjoyed that it it is. It, it, it is like the, par- the after after party and this have some similarities because in both of them there's excellent chemistry mm-hmm. in both of them they are two um, female personalities who wrote the show and who do something that honestly like that, that this is what Miss um, Lally and the, the, the man the, who wrote this said is that this is not um, a spe- strictly female role for for either one Got well, it. I, I, although the, the rabbit I guess the rabbit has like is part part of the plot is a pregnancy. Okay. But uh it's they're very brash and they're very they're very um the, the pace of it is like to subvert the limits in comedy for mm-hmm. them. And I think both plays do that very well. And the both plays are also I, I can't stress this enough really, really funny. Really, really funny. I would I would recommend both of them without reservation. And uh after this one, Wild Society actually, that same night at the same stage, review stage at uh, 1601 Johnson Street, I saw Love is a Battlefield. Oh, how is it? Well, Love is a Battlefield is very good. It's written uh, by Martin Dockery, who performs it with his wife. And uh, Love is a Battlefield is a very well-written and well-performed play that uh, has one slight problem. It's a similar problem to uh, Tragedy Plus Time Serve Equals Comedy, Mm -hmm. is that the tone vacillates wildly. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, for me, I like it when the tone vacillates, but it also makes it harder to um, sort of figure out. Like, So Love is a Battlefield, I guess, it, it's, it might be easier to explain this, is um, about this guy who gets hired by to uh, produce a vocal track of Love is a Battlefield, among other things, for an album. Uh, this woman is singing courtesy of her rich husband because she needs a hobby and he won't let her work mm-hmm. so this guy who sort of does odd jobs for the husband always my favor it's brought in and this this man is played by martin dockery and she the, the woman is played by his by his real life wife oh cool and um i was like well, I, I knew this tongue-in-cheek because i actually met mr dockery and he actually kind of he gave me the, the uh, program for the show which I is see. why i saw the show mm-hmm. uh and he he said i i, I joked kind of tongue-in-cheek wow you guys must know each other really well that's that's some amazing chemistry there <laughs> and um it, it, it is it is amazing there are some moments in it that are actually kind of like honestly i i i, I don't want to sound pervy about this but they okay. are kind of hot Okay. A little bit because the it, characters do have tension. Okay. Is, and, is this uh, like a, a 14 plus show? It is, a- it's, 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 yeah, it's 14 plus. Okay, got it. Yeah. It, it, it's not graphic, but it, a lot of it is them talking, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is all of them talking. And it is one of those things that's sort of like a Neil LeBute play or Neil LeBute. I, I don't like Neil LeBute very much, but I like David Mamet a lot, and there's mm-hmm. a similarity. There's definitely similarity in that these people are using language. They yep. talk over each other a lot. They stammer a lot, and they're trying to use language to get something to try and instill a reaction and often failing, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a true-to-life thing. It can happen. And this I is a lot. Yes. Yeah, I think it, do, it does oh, so happen I, a lot. So, so it happens a lot with me. Mm-hmm. All right, Jake. It what? happens a lot with me? Okay. With you? I wasn't saying no, that. Okay, I, 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 you know, I know, right? right? That, oh, my God. But, yeah, it is... Mm-hmm. They do talk over each other a lot, and I, I do want to. And they do. Um, 
they do have great chemistry. Uh, honestly, uh, my impression of, of Mr. Dockery uh, was that he, he resembles, between his appearance and his manners, he resembles a mixture of Dennis Leary and Steven Tyler. Okay. Is an interesting yeah, thing because he's he's got a very sort of yeah yeah sort of like the dry sort of wisecrack sense of humor, but then his he's also very loose body language mm-hmm. and they're drinking throughout the play and he, okay. so he gets progressively looser. Yeah, I assume I believe it was simulated. Okay, but it was also very convincing. Got like, it. Again, these very good acting all around. The major issue for this play and the reason this I, I recommend this. With, only a little reservation is the tone, the differences okay. in tone, because there are intense moments and then there are moments of like banter and comedy. And the intense moments come towards the end when this basically, I don't want to say it does get into sort of post always Rings Twice territory. The ending, okay. though, is not, I, I can't really give it away. Yeah, you can't it, give it away. It, That's it okay. veers towards there. Yeah. And when can people watch this show? So you can watch this show on Friday at 5 or Saturday at 4 at the Review Stage, which is 1601 Johnson Street. Johnson Street, You can also uh, see Wild Society uh, tomorrow at 10.15. Same place. Yep, same place. Friday at 6.45 and Sunday at 2 o'clock. Yep, and this again, the Review Stage, 1601 Johnson Street. We're going to go into Mm -hmm. a few short messages and we'll get you back to you with a little bit of more fringe. You are listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muskegon Territory in Vancouver. A new and dangerous stage in planetary evolution has begun. The Anthropocene, a time of rising temperatures, extreme weather, rising oceans, and mass species extinctions. Ian Angus's new book, Facing the Anthropocene, explores the current state of our planet and the challenges we must overcome to help it. The book launch will be on Thursday, September the 15th from 7 to 9 p.m. at SFU's downtown campus. The event will be free and open to the public. Have you ever wanted to be part of a podcast recording? Well, now's your chance. Join Dina and Daniel on September the 22nd at 7.30 p.m. at Little Mountain Shop on Main Street near Nat Bailey Stadium as they host their first ever Can't Lit Live. All of the same antics on the podcast, but Daniel can't edit any of it out. Whatever is recorded is what goes on. The duo will be joined by special guests Jen Sukfong Lee and Anna Kana Schofield, who will discuss, among other things, their books and other things literature-related. To find out more, please visit www.littlemountainlit.com. Tickets are a mere $5 and can be purchased on Eventbrite. Hope to see you all on September the 22nd at Little Mountain Shop. And welcome back to the Arts Report. Again, this is a special jam-packed episode. We are going a little more over because we really, really love you. And we need, we need you to go fringe yourself. We just, we just got two more shows for you. Then you can go fringe yourself as, as much as you want. Fringe to your pleasure. Exactly. Exactly. Are, are we overdoing? No, no. Andy's nodding really slowly at you, audience, right now. He's like, exactly. listeners, go friend yourself. Nods very slowly. I just want to note that I never said that. I <laughs> never said those words. You didn't, you didn't say that. You just nodded. You nodded to us saying it. That's being, like, implicit. You were thinking it. <laughs> You're thinking it. And I guess, you know, saying it, thinking it, I... I saw the dance teacher. I don't have a Sieg for that. But you don't have, yeah, it's the dance teacher. Content warning a little yeah. bit. I know the other shows we were kind of skirting a little bit about but, uh, it, but this is the real content warning. Studio 16? Right, yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, Studio 6, so this is at Studio 16 again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dance teacher is a paint-by-numbers of psychological manipulation. It is one of the best depictions of a psychopath I've seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of them. Were you afraid? 
for myself. No, uh, like the thing is, it's not a violent psych. It's not a sociopath. It's a psychopath. Because, mm-hmm. um, to my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, sociopath is a psychopath that is predisposed to violence, mm-hmm. and acts on violent urges like very quickly. And successful psychopaths tend to not be sociopaths because sociopaths get caught. They point this out very specifically in this one because. The dance teacher is about a dance teacher who is beaten to death in prison awaiting an appeal for molestation charges of Mm -hmm. his students. And it is a black box theater. It's a very black box type format, but it's him in the center stage. This guy kind of looks like a handsome John Leguizamo. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he he does. And um, around him in a ring are various people uh, who are relevant to it. And they are listening. They do interact with him, but when they're not, they're listening and kind of watching. There's two police, uh, police officers who... Uh, arrested him. There's uh, the parents of two of his victims. There is his old dance teacher who molested him. Mm -hmm. There's a faculty member of the university he went to, and there's a girl who he had a relationship with. With, But, like, estranged, like, we're like, yeah. No, not really. It's like they tried to have sex, but he couldn't. He he is very asexual. He's very similar to if, okay, I, I do have to say this, if you haven't seen the talented Mr. Ripley, Watch it somehow. That's one of the, mm-hmm. in my, if you ask my opinion, best one of the best movies ever made. I like that. I, I watched that movie. It's yeah. good. Tom Ripley is a psychopath, yeah. and he's an asexual psychopath. In in the book, he's terrified of sex. Yeah. And this is a very similar character because he's not violent, and Ripley is only violent when he's basically forced to be. He just doesn't have any reservations about it. Mm-hmm. But um, this character is a manipulator and a panderer to the extreme. He shows so many different faces, and this one, like when he's a. Uh, so the father who suspects his kids are being touched, uh, yeah. his sons are being touched in dance, uh, comes to him and he's an old friend. So the dance, this guy, Justin, basically um, acts very broy, very sort of jocular to him mm-hmm. and basically plays to him. But then when he's uh, manipulating his, um, his col- the, a college administrator he had a really, uh, tryst with, to fire the girl um, he had an encounter with mm-hmm. to, to get her to get her booted from the master's program. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a little low. Yeah. 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 He, oh, he, he gets worse. Okay. He base, So he's he's grooming children. He's straight up grooming children yeah. to be molested by his old dance teacher who he has basically a partnership with. Oh. Well. And the end, it does end with a villain rant. And this is one of the very few times when I've seen that done very well. A villain rant. A villain rant from a him. A villain rant. Which is the cat, because one of the policemen, uh, one of the police officers, both of them are female, is um, very swayed by him. The other one sees right through him. Mm-hmm. And she summarizes it, and she's kind of psycho herself a little bit. Okay. She's at very least does not give a, doesn't regard him yeah. he, with humanly at all. And the scariest thing about this is that it is an astoundingly accurate depiction of how you pander and manip to and manipulate people. It is very accurate. It's presented in a black box format, so it's kind of alienating. And my God. Like, and I, the, the fellow who uh, did this, the fellow who created this was inspired by Jerry Sandusky, among other things, that okay. uh, case. of it's, it's a figures you trust and who you give them the words. So basically... Yeah. Every time he avoids questioning, it's because people put the words. There's a reporter who writes a story that tries to exonerate him, puts words in his mouth that he just confirms, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because that he people like that manipulate you using what you have. They don't give you these these traits. Yeah, it's a creepy show. It deserves to be seen, but yeah, content warning. There are a lot of unsettling scenes. You can see it today at a uh, quarter to eight. 
Saturday at quarter to 10 and Sunday at quarter past five. Would you say that you ever SGA feel 16. relief from that tension or no? Uh, in the Yes, t- at the end. The end where you do... Th- th- this is known at the start of the play. Mm-hmm. You do basically see his entire facade broken over this uh, woman's knee, which mm-hmm. is incredibly satisfying. And then you also know that this gets him killed. Oh, yeah. And six years, convicted multiple pedophile in prison. That's a long time. That's that's a... <laughs> you're, you're, it's really, really... Yeah, it's a, so he... Yeah. yeah. So you do get the sense that... But when I came into this, I thought this would be a play about whether or not he was guilty. Yep. No, it's a play about how he's guilty. Got and that's it. infinitely more scary. So what's the other play that you saw that was... Well, also a kind of scary thing. This okay. was a comedy show called Not Enough <laughs> at the Arts Umbrella. I feel so bad. Jake, are you okay? No, 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 no. no. See, so that one was scary because it's about psychopaths in people who you might know. If yeah. you're a psychopath yourself, well, actually, that won't affect you because you don't feel empathy. But uh, <laughs> oh, no. in this case, this is a personal one because okay. Not Enough is a show about anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have anxiety, but... Like I've had panic attacks, and if you, you've ever had a pan, panic attack in your life, you'll relate to this show quite a lot because this show uses loop samples. Like, uh, oh. among other things, the most prevalent one is "I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough." Yeah. Uh, on that little trackpad thing, the the pad thing, I don't know what you use it to loop sound, like make beats with. Yeah. And um, to do this one woman show, courtesy of um, Megan Phillips, who does it, and she is amazing. She is a very good. She's inc- she's an incredible comedic actress, and I, I really want to see more from her. I really want to see mm-hmm. the next thing she does, too, because this is a, an amazing show. It is very funny. Yep. This is a comedy show, but it does it does really... It, these samples drill into your skull like a Black oh. Eyed Peas beat, and it's Got like... It. It, it dry- would, you say it's a, would you say the soundscape is really a huge focus in this piece? Yes, it's, it's a pretty spare show. It's just mm-hmm. her. So, yes, the soundscape is big. And the thing is, when she has her first anxiety attack, anxiety is manifested by another voice she does in this one. And it's like an after-school special where the villain in the after-school special is like, I'll take care of you. I'll always be with you. It's creepy. Yeah. (laughs) It is is creepy. And um, this play, this play is, but this this, this is a one-woman show. It's very funny. This is a comedy show, first and foremost. It is funny before it is disturbing. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, uh, it's like, it's very, it's a very good depiction of what it's like to have a panic attack, which is a yeah. deeply unpleasant experience that causes physical pain. It really is. Yes, it's not a good feeling. Like, um, and like I, I don't know about me, when I have panic attacks, I, I get uh, like crushing pain in my chest, um, and I think because that's because the first time I had it, I was also ill. Oh, I'm so sorry. like that, I think it's psychosomatic. But like that was they describe those symptoms, like the things, some of the things that happen, so well. Um, and she has suffered from from actual anxiety disorder, and she did a silent meditation, which is the premise of this. Mm-hmm. And it's about facing your own demons, which if you have this kind of disorder... Do you think it's quite healing? The show? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't have anxiety disorder. I've had panic attacks. I think most human beings have had panic attacks, mm-hmm. especially, or may, maybe you haven't. I don't know. But uh, um, I think that if you've had a panic attack, you can liken to it. If you had an anxiety disorder, you may find it. Um, you may find it healing. You may find it triggering. Really I, triggering. Well, I, it, it's a very good encapsulation of what it's like to have a I panic see. attack. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Um, but if you have overcame anxiety or overcome, I do not know how to conjugate that. Overcome. Overcome. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. O- overcome anxiety, then I think this would be, yeah, yeah it, it would probably um, because it does show that. It does show her actually overcoming the character of anxiety mm-hmm. with this 
see the show. See, see the show. It, it is it is a good show. It deserves to be seen. It's a very interesting multimedia. I was thinking about it when you talked about the different media with the unicorn yeah, drinking coffee. Yeah. Because she does light and sound effects in this one. Very simple ones, much like that. Mm-hmm. But they um they do illustrate it very well and different vignettes that do cement the anxiety, which it was it was impressive. It was a very impressive uh, venture, I think, mm-hmm. uh, to to put on as a, as a person who has suffered this and to have gone to go through this repeatedly, mm-hmm. which, yeah, yeah, like that was that was uh, for the venture alone. But it's also it is also very funny. Yeah. So that I would recommend seeing. I'm going to see that one again, uh, um, because it, it was a good show. It was mm-hmm. a funny show, and it's it's relatable. It is. So when exactly can people see Not Enough? So you can see that today at eight o'clock. Tomorrow mm-hmm. at quarter to ten. Uh, the Saturday at quarter past six and Sunday at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. And where exactly will people can well I can't talk. That's where, where blah sorry where can people see not enough I'm sorry. That is the arts umbrella and I don't remember the address for that Got but it. you pick up the tickets at the False Creek Gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and yes, I, I I highly recommend of the shows that I'm going to see again of this and this is my my favorite shows of these seven were not enough the after after party. And uh, Wild Society. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good uh, tip to give for mm-hmm. people who are interested in going to the Fringe. There yes. are multiple venues. Mm-hmm. If you need to, you can go to the box office and get your tickets there for all shows. My recommend, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend you not see. I wouldn't recommend you not see any of these. Yeah. But if if you can only see a few, see one of those, please, because they they do deserve to be seen. They are, mm-hmm. they are all very funny shows, and you need some comedy in your life. And. You know, and I recommend the Advanced Theater, New Works by Women. Again, it is um, yes. at the Falls Creek Gym, September 12th to the 16th. If you are free around 1.30, it is by donation. $5 should, you know, work perfectly. You don't need a membership or anything like that. And, again, women are very underrepresented. So if you can see those shows, see them too. They're only one time. It occurs to me that all three of the shows I recommended are straight Femcon. That's so great. Huh. All right. So this is the end to our wonderful jam-packed fringed show all right so you were listening to ctr radio 101.9 fm we're broadcasting from unceded muskegon territory in vancouver we are the earth report i was your host ashley park and i'm jake clark and i'm andy tom and you can listen to us next time every wednesdays at 5 p.m the next show will be done by our bi-weekly hosts i love saying i love saying that sorry uh, Christine Kim, she'll have a wonderful show out for you. And again, thank you so much for listening. Cheers.